This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. American meat delivered right to your front door. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie for a great deal. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right, guys, we're going to talk about a few things today. Today is June first, so it seems like a fitting day to talk about some of the gender ideology madness that is once again not just pervading our schools. We're going to talk about that a little bit. I mean, just absolutely insane, but also is driving our federal government to make some decisions that I think are absolutely cruel, wicked, draconian. We're also going to talk about Matt Walsh's new documentary, What is a Woman? That is out today. And I think I'm going to start, though, just kind of with the biblical perspective that, we, that we've talked about a lot about gender and sexuality and marriage. But first, I think it's worth noting that this idea of Pride Month for the Christian should at least cause us just for the name alone, to take a step back and say, I'm not really sure if that, that characteristic, is something that we should be celebrating as a virtue. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So pride is not something that the Christian sees as a characteristic to emulate or to strive after. In fact, we are constantly told to lower ourselves, to humble ourselves, to deny ourselves. Pride is not something that we celebrate. It is not a virtue or a value that we uphold. Over and over again, we are told in scripture that pride actually comes before destruction. Pride will be an individual's demise and also a nation's demise. So that alone should make us take a step back and say, you know what, I, I'm not sure that this is something that aligns with Christianity. Of course, there is the much deeper and obvious reason there, and that is because the orthodox view of marriage and sexuality for the thousands of years that the church has been around has been that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, you often hear, well, this term homosexuality, it wasn't in the Bible until 1946. There are only a few verses that talk about homosexuality, and they're not really talking about homosexuality. And Leviticus prohibits people from doing lots of things. And if you don't follow every single cleansing law in the Old Testament, then you shouldn't be following the law that says that a man cannot sleep with another man. That's some of the things, or those are some of the things that you hear. You also hear that Jesus never talked about sexuality. He never talks about the definition of gender or marriage. And so Christians just shouldn't care about that. And you also hear, well, Christians are just called to love. And Matthew 7, 1 says this, you're not supposed to judge. So apparently that just means unconditional tolerance and acceptance of everyone's choices and lifestyles. And look, every single person, no matter how they identify, no matter what behavior they engage in, is made in the image of God, and therefore their innate worth is equal. That is what we believe. And we believe from a political standpoint that human beings should have 
basic constitutional rights, that they shouldn't be um, those rights shouldn't be inhibited or prohibited because of how a person says that they identify. So we believe all that. We believe in equality under the law. We believe equality in the sense that everyone is valuable because they are made in the image of God. That does not mean that Christians don't have a stance based on the Bible about or about sexuality and about gender. So I'll say what I've said many times is that in looking at what Christianity says about these things, we don't simply ask, well, what does scripture prohibit? What does scripture say that we cannot do? That is the wrong mentality in reading the Bible. Because that is a mentality that is an attitude, a posture of, well, what can I get away with? How can I finagle these verses? How can I take this out of context? How can I kind of do away with the verses that I don't like in order to live the way that I want to live, in order to do what I want to do? That's not how we approach the Bible. We don't approach the Bible saying, well, what specifically does it say that I can't do? And anything that it doesn't specifically say that I can't do, that means that I can do it. No, we read the Bible. If we love God, if we believe in his authority, if we believe in Genesis 1-1 that he created the heavens and the earth, we approach the Bible by saying, what does God tell me to do? How does he positively define things? Not just what does he tell me not to do, but what does he say is? What does he say is not just evil, but what does he say is good? What does he say is right? What does he say is true. And because we love him, we want to submit to him. We want to honor him. We want to subject ourselves to his authority. And what we see in the definition of marriage and sexuality in scripture is that it is, as we have said many times, it's an alliteration rooted in creation. The definition of marriage, of gender, of holy sexuality, between male and female is rooted in the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1:27, that God created us in his image, male and female, he created us. It's rooted in creation. That um, dichotomy, that definition of marriage is reiterated throughout scripture. It is repeated by Jesus himself in Matthew 19, 4 through 5. He reiterates uh, the creation account that a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus absolutely does define what marriage and sexuality looks like. So it's repeated by Jesus. It is reflective of um, or it's representative of Christ and the church. We read that in Ephesians 5, at the end of the chapter of Ephesians 5, when we read that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church, and a wife is to submit to her husband as to the Lord. And we are told that husbands represent Christ, who is the head of the church, and a wife represents the church who is submissive to Christ. So what we see there is that the definition of marriage as between man and a woman doesn't just have physical significance in the way of procreation, but it also has spiritual gospel significance. So it's representative of Christ in the church, and therefore it is reflective of the gospel. The Bible starts with a marriage and ends with a marriage, which believes according to Christian, which means according to Christian 
theology that all of time started with a marriage or human history started with a marriage and ends with a marriage. Started with the marriage between Adam and Eve. It ends with the marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. So the definition of marriage is not just about a physical reality. It is about an eternal reality. We do not see that gender is interchangeable. We do not see that gender is fluid. We do not see that the marriage roles are interchangeable. We see that there is a deep, profound gospel significance in the definition of marriage as between a man and a woman. So a person who professes to be a believer, who denies that, you're not just denying some peripheral, tertiary part of Christianity that can be compromised. You are actually denying the creation order. So you've already denied a fundamental part of Christianity by denying the authority of our creator that we see in the first chapter of the Bible. You are also denying how Christ defined marriage in Matthew 19. You are denying the gospel and eternal significance of a husband and wife representing Christ in the church. You are denying the gospel in a sense. This is a gospel issue because the Bible says it's a gospel issue. God created the Bible. And I'm going to get into a little bit more about um what love looks like from a biblical perspective rather than a worldly perspective, especially on this subject in just one second. But first, I'll tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is my Patriot Supply. So you guys know, I mean, the world is crazy right now. We just don't know what to expect. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The economy is really, really rocky. Sky high inflation, food shortages maybe on the horizon. That's why I urge you to go to preparewithally.com. Get your three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. With my link, you can save $150. They're the nation's largest and most trusted preparedness company. You can save $150 on their three-month emergency food kit that gives you breakfast, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks for three solid months per person. It's delicious food. There's a whole variety there. Your whole family's going to love it. It ships fast and free. Go to preparewithally.com for that discount that's preparewithally.com. So the world tells us that we lack love or empathy um, if we don't agree with someone's lifestyle, if we don't agree with someone's choices, if we don't agree with who they say they are. Um, but Christian love is not the same as worldly love. So worldly love says unconditional acceptance and on it unconditional tolerance of what the Christian theology would say is sin. And that's not how we define love in Christianity. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that God is love. Wow, God is love. Not just that he loves, but that God is love. So if you are love, that means that everything you say and do, everything God says and does is therefore done from love. And God says that some things are sin. God says that some things are wrong. Um, God says that some things are good and some things are bad. Some things are true. Some things are false. This God who is love calls people to repentance. This God who is love defines sexual immorality. Again, that goes back to this idea that the word homosexuality was only added into the Bible in 1946. Well, I mean, that forgets the fact that in Romans 1, it actually spells out the behavior. It doesn't just use the word. So the God who is love is very explicit about the definition of marriage, about the definition of what he calls 
um, right and wrong sexual behavior and sexuality. And so if God is love and he says those things and he's clear about those things, then far be it from us to believe that we can out love God. The Bible doesn't say that we are love. And so I think a lot of times Christians, you are, we are guilty of self-idolatry in thinking that we are actually more loving or more compassionate than God is. That if we soften what the Bible says, or if we nuance it to the point of being completely unclear about what the Bible says, that we can present ourselves as more loving to the world than God actually is. But you can't out-justice God. You can't out-love Him. You can't out-compassion Him. Therefore, the most loving and compassionate and just thing that we can do as people is to simply agree with what God says because he is love. Now, that doesn't mean that you're purposely harsh or you're um, cruel or that you are degrading towards someone or that you make someone feel less than. That is definitely the opposite loving uh, of loving. We know that love is patient and kind. It rejoices with the truth. And so we want to make sure that we are um, that that we are communicators and messengers of love, God's definition of love, and not just clinging symbols, um, as First Corinthians thirteen says. But that does not mean that we have to compromise. It certainly it doesn't. It means that we should not compromise because we trust the God who has the authority over the universe, who created all of us, who knows what is good for us, who knows what is in our best interest, who cares about us, who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to cover our sins so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God forever and not just be Uh, not just trust that we will spend eternity with him in heaven, but also be free from our sin here on earth. I think one thing that we do have to remember that homosexuality or any kind of, you know, whatever the Bible calls sexual immorality um, is not the thing that a person is first going to be repenting of if we shared the gospel with them. The first thing that all of us repent of is our unbelief. And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes the grace of God. It takes the goodness and the kindness of God, as Romans 2 tells us, to repent, to change our hearts, to change our minds. And do let us be careful not to condemn and to um, wrongly judge someone who may be isn't where we think that they should be when they just became a Christian. Let us think back, all of us, to when we first became a Christian, when we first heard the gospel, when we first started reading the Bible and consuming theological books. We had a lot wrong, didn't we? Did we have perfect theology all at once? Does anyone ever have perfect theology all at once? No. Now, I do think repeated denial of core tenets of Christianity, that's a problem and indicative of someone who is probably not saved, Um, But let us also be gracious and patient with people who are just coming into the faith. God is in charge of their sanctification. We can admonish and we can encourage and we can instruct um, out of love and we can call people through kindness to repentance. Also realizing that even if we are full of grace and truth and power, as both Jesus and Stephen are described to be, that the reaction that we receive may still be anger and hostility. That doesn't mean that you're not doing the right thing. It doesn't mean that your tone is wrong. It doesn't mean that you didn't communicate well. Um, We have to understand that people are going to be hostile to the gospel 
potentially. And our job is to simply obey God, to speak the truth and love and to glorify him in what we do, realizing that that is the most loving thing that we can possibly do. All right. Um, Now that we've kind of got that, I've kind of like hopefully set the tone and reminded us of kind of like the Christian mentality in the midst of all of this. I want to talk first about Matt Walsh's new documentary, What is a Woman? The reason why I want to talk about it, I won't reveal a whole bunch of details because you can go to the Daily Wire site, you can go subscribe and you can watch it today. So I don't want to give away too much of what it is. I really recommend it though. It's funny at parts. It's terrifying. It's sad. It's also hopeful. It's just like very interesting and very well done. But I do want to talk about, because it connects to what we just discussed, one thing that I noticed, a theme in his conversations when he was talking to people who are advocates of Uh, gender so-called transition or what they would call like gender affirmation procedures, especially in children. I mean, advocates of this idea that a man can become a woman or a boy can become a girl and vice versa. Not only would they not define what a woman is, they would say something along the lines of, well, a woman identifies as a woman. Of course, that's that's a circular definition. You can't use the word that you're trying to define in the definition. Uh, But one thing that I realized was kind of the thrust of all of their arguments was that a person cannot know truth, that there is no objective truth, even in some of just like the random people on the street that he was talking to. um, You realize that that is kind of what the foundation of their belief system is, this kind of um, this kind of relativism, this subjectivism, this idea that there is really, there's no external reality. There's not even a fixed biological reality that not just gender is fluid, but all reality is fluid. That if you say something is your truth and it contradicts what we can feel and see and think and can actually prove with data, then um, then you still, like your truth is still legitimate. It can't actually be contradicted. And this is not just something we see in the progressive view of gender. This is something that we see in the progressive view of a lot of things. We've talked before about this idea of standpoint epistemology. It is a subset of feminist theory that has also had a big impact on critical race theory and queer theory. Um, And it is this idea that you gain knowledge So epistemology, you learn knowledge through your particular standpoint. That is how you attain knowledge. So that's why like when you hear that you have to learn about a particular subject from a so-called queer person or a person of color and your data or your logic or your argument doesn't matter, their lived experiences matter, what they think matters, their opinion and their perspective trumps whatever data exists. That comes from this idea of standpoint epistemology that knowledge actually comes from your standpoint and the world of intersectionality 
And it, there is no objective means of knowing what is true. It's kind of a form of like Gnosticism of someone being able to gain special knowledge because of their sexual orientation or because of their identity or because of their skin color. And that runs directly opposed to what Christianity knows about truth, that not only is there an objective observable reality, not only do we believe in data, we believe in mathematics, we believe um, in the the scientific method. We believe that God created all of these things and that it is a gift of common grace that we can observe objective reality that there is something called nature, which does not lie. There is something called science um, that is based on observation and data. We believe in all of these things, but also we believe in knowledge that is revealed to us in scripture. We believe that there is universal morality, that there is objective truth that can be accessed by people who aren't Christians. But then also Christians believe that there is an objective truth found in Christ, that Jesus in John 14, 6 says that I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So there is salvific objective truth and exclusivity to that salvific objective truth. So Christianity does not buy into this idea that someone's lived experience or someone's subjective perspective trumps reality. The Bible tells us it echoes um, science or science echoes the Bible in that God made us male and female. There are no other categories there. There's nothing in between there. Those are not interchangeable. And it actually makes so much sense that the people who deny the reality that the dichotomy of male and female, they reject the idea of truth period. And so really the conversations that we are having about gender, they are theological, philosophical conversations. They're not primarily political or culture war conversations. Now, most people don't realize when they have a particular perspective on gender, they don't realize that um, they have like, they're like borrowing from a philosophical tradition that goes back hundreds of years back to, you know, Descartes and other philosophers that kind of share that mentality. Really, you need to read Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, who explains all of this really well. But it struck me that really, almost like anything else, as I was watching this documentary, that this is primarily a religious conversation, that this really does go back to not only do you believe in truth, but do you believe in God? Because If you don't believe in God, then it actually is hard to make the case for objective truth and universal morality. The reason we believe in objective truth and universal morality is because we believe in a God and a creator that transcends all governments, transcends our minds, is infallible and is infinite and created the universe and has that transcendent authority and is supreme. If you don't believe in that, then where do you believe the truth comes from? If you don't believe in the God of scripture, why wouldn't you believe in the God of self? But don't you see how that leads to all kind of moral anarchy? Don't you see how the questioning, the upending of universal morality can pave the way for the justification of all kinds of human rights atrocities? In fact, the 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 concept, the reality of rights is 
built on the Bible. It's built on the Judeo-Christian belief that we have a creator who made us in his image and therefore we have rights that cannot be taken away from us because they were given to us by God, not the government. In most of the world, you don't have human rights. You don't have the right to life. You don't have the right to free speech. You don't have the right to not be arbitrarily detained or tortured by the state. Go to China, go to most of the Eastern world today, and you will not find the concept of human rights. Um, And so, Really, what we see in this conversation about gender is something that is so much bigger and so much more destructive than only boys and girls kind of being indoctrinated by what I think is just in, um, in immoral and confusing ideology. It actually has societal, um, civilizational implications that I don't even think that we have started to see the effects of those. Um, And so let us just remember that. Let us remember that the reason that we're having these arguments today, it doesn't just go back to crazy wokeness or crazy politics or the left has just gotten so crazy. All of those things are true. It actually comes back to godlessness. It comes back to a loss of the knowledge of and the belief in the Bible, which is the foundation for Western civilization, the foundation for rights, the foundation of the belief in truth, whether or not you're a Christian, that's true. And because that's no longer taught in schools, I think that we are seeing some of the fruits and the repercussions of that, especially when it comes to the sexual and gender revolution. We're going to talk a little bit more about all that in just one second. But let me tell you about our second sponsor for the day, and that is Good Ranchers. So you guys are going to be grilling out a lot this summer. You're going to be grilling those steaks, grilling those burgers, and Good Ranchers has affordable American beef, chicken, and seafood this summer just for you. It's 100% American meat. It ships right to your front door on dry ice. Right now, they've got a great deal. They're giving away two free 18-ounce prime center-cut ribeyes to every person that uses my code Alley. That's over two pounds of prime ribeye steaks just added to your order at no cost. With Father's Day almost here and summer stretching out before us, what's not to love? This is not the time to wait. Claim your ribeyes today before they run out. This is a limited stock item, first come, first serve, and you want to be first when it comes to good ranchers. They deliver the best of American farms and ranches to your door. Make sure that you take the time today to go to goodranchers.com slash alley. Use my code alley at checkout. To get your two free 18 ounce ribeyes, start the summer off right with Good Ranchers American Meat Delivered. All right, I want to talk about this crazy story um, that I saw at the beginning of May, and I just wrote an article for World Magazine about it that I think is going to come out probably sometime this week. And that is about the Biden administration forcing schools to um, to allow boys into girls' bathrooms and locker rooms and sports teams and private spaces in order to get federal lunch money that is typically given to students, provided for students who are below the poverty line. Is that not insane? So talk about a godless, destructive ideology that is guiding the president of the United States that is guiding his administration. And, you know, the irony in all of this, and I'll explain exactly what's going on, is that the people who are on the other side of me on this issue claim that we are the ones who are not loving, who are not empathetic. 
that if we had empathy, then we would just agree with them. If we were loving, then we would just get on board with everything that they believe and say and just affirm a lifestyle that Orthodox Christianity has been against for thousands of years. Is it empathetic to take away federal lunch money from K through 12 schools because they don't get on board with a completely anti-scientific and destructive agenda? It's insane. So this is according to The Federalist. The USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, has a school lunch program, the National School Lunch Program, that feeds about 30 million kids every school day in about 100,000 public and private and residential care facilities. And these are typically kids, as I said, that are under the poverty line that really rely on their schools for for breakfast, for lunch, for snacks to be fed throughout the day. Now, they have developed a new rule, the USDA, under the guidance of the Biden administration that says establishments that accept any of this federal food funding, including food stamps, must allow males who claim to be female to access female private spaces such as showers, bathrooms, and sleeping areas. Such organizations must follow protocols such as requiring staff to use preferred pronouns, so requiring them to lie, and allowing male staff to dress as women while on the job. Religious institutions may qualify for a waiver exempting them from these requirements. No paperwork required, but that is the only exemption that you can hope to have. The Human Rights Campaign is pushing for even narrower religious exemptions for this rule and for a list of organizations who request the exemptions. I'm sure that they'll be super responsible and not at all vengeful and vindictive when it comes to that. Government schools, however, no matter their religious objections, if they have them, um, can receive no exemption. All right. So they are going to withhold money. Let's just be really clear about this. They are going to withhold money from schools who feed, who have impoverished people, impoverished children. They're going to refuse to give them the money for food for these people. If teachers don't use so-called preferred pronouns, if these entities do not allow boys into girls' locker rooms, showers, bathrooms, sports teams, residential care facilities, I mean, you are withholding sustenance, nutrition from children who did nothing wrong, who were already vulnerable. Because some schools don't want boys to go into girls' bathrooms, there is nothing more wicked than that. And progressives want to talk to conservatives about having empathy. Where's the empathy here? Where's the love here? How is this anything other than evil? See, here is part of the issue is that when Obergefell happened in 2015, believe it or not, the majority of Americans, I think it was about 60% of Americans, actually didn't believe in legalizing gay marriage. This wasn't something that was allowed to go through the legislature as it should have, or state legislatures. It was something that happened through um, a judicial decision, which is not how it should have gone down. A lot of conservatives, worried Christians, talked about the slippery slope. We could not have imagined how slippery the slope would have been or what was awaiting people at the bottom. I don't think anyone could have even foreseen in 2015, that's only seven years ago, what gender identity would be. 
that there would be boys trying to identify as girls and go into girls' private spaces. We have already seen, in some cases, these boys victimizing girls, like in Loudoun County. We talked about that last year. We don't even know how often this is happening. I'm sure a lot of girls don't want to speak up and a lot of teachers and districts don't want to talk about it because it's so politically incorrect. And hey, they don't want to lose their lunch money for the poor kids. We could not have seen how slippery the slope was. And this has become so detached from civil unions. Remember that, how quaint. And hospital visits for gay partners. It has moved so far beyond that to the realm of complete absurdity. And again, the denial of reality, not just objective, physical, biological reality, but any kind of moral truth as well. To the point to where once again, once again, what do we always say? Children are always the unconsenting subjects of progressive social experiments. And that is exactly what's happening. They are saying they would rather kids starve. They would rather kids starve than a school say that a boy can't go into a girl's bathroom. That's the Biden administration. How we doing pro-life evangelicals for Biden? How we doing? Things going well? Doesn't, doesn't really seem so. So this is happening While, by the way, CBS reports that inflation hits the lunch line, how higher costs and supply chain issues are affecting school lunches. So school lunches are already having a hard time at at schools. Like they're already having a hard time getting the the, the supplies and the food that they need to provide for kids, especially vulnerable kids. So this is according to CBS. Some districts have been forced to pull back or make substitutions to deal with the cost of ingredients. Mead Middle School in Maryland used to offer five entrees a day, and now it's down to just one. You know, some kids rely on schools to eat in a day. Elijah Lee, an eighth grader at Mead Middle School, said, we had no more condiments like ketchup and mustard and the ranch, which I loved. So sad. At some schools, there are no more hamburgers or chicken patty sandwiches because of the price of buns and ketchup. Offering more tacos or bunless options and trying to navigate a shortage of healthy options like carrot sticks. Even trays and plates are in short supply. School Nutrition Association says that 97% of meal programs reported challenges with higher costs. The Department of Agriculture has been offering schools a $4.56 reimbursement for every meal served and will reduce the reimbursement to pre-pandemic levels, $3.75 on July 1st. So as all of this is happening because of inflation, because of the poor economy, because of the supply chain issues, which is not all Biden's fault, to be fair. It's somewhat Democratic policy's fault, but it's not all Biden's fault. It is because of a variety of factors While all of that is happening, they are saying, hey, guess what? We're going to take away your funding for food, period, if you do not go along with our radical trans agenda that, by the way, victimizes young girls, puts them in a vulnerable spot. Guess what? Girls, young girls who don't want to share the bathroom with, I'm sorry, but a penis, which is normal, that used to be sexual harassment, by the way, that used to be a form of sexual assault for a girl to be flashed or to be forced into a private space with a male. Girls who don't want to do that are just not going to go to the bathroom. They're just not going to go into the locker room anymore. See, this is the flip side of toxic, superficial empathy. Oh, we just need to have empathy for just this one group of people. What's the flip side of that? It's always the flip side of so-called social justice. Who is paying? for this, um, what is called progress. Who is paying for it on the other side? What's the cost? The cost is high here. The cost is vulnerable kids not getting food. The cost is girls being forced into vulnerable situations with naked boys. 
I mean, it's insane. So this is what I'm talking about when I say that this is a religious theological issue that we are discussing. It's not just, well, what do you think about the science of gender? It's not just a political or cultural war issue. This has to do with what you think about human nature, what you think about truth, what you think about who created all of this and why we're here. That is why we are seeing the destructive consequences that we are. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about those destructive consequences before we end the episode in just one second. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day. And by the way, it is a very fitting one. It is Heroes of Liberty. So we already know that a lot of the books that we are seeing in the libraries of schools that are pushing this radical and destructive ideology are really terrible. I mean, they're basically pornographic and they're not teaching kids about good values and what it looks like to be an upstanding citizen or a moral responsible person. They're pushing all kinds of madness and a really sick agenda that is not just hardening their hearts, but it's frying their brain. So if you want your kids to be critical thinkers, if you want them to have good models of virtue, if you want them to learn about um, America and responsibility and hard work in a way that they will also enjoy and that will really stick with them, you need to check out Heroes of Liberty. They are publishing biographies of Heroes of Liberty, such as Thomas Sowell, Ronald Reagan, John Wayne, Margaret Thatcher. It's a beautifully illustrated series of children's books. It's packed with American values, one story at a time. They've got a subscription program, so you get a new hardcover, beautifully illustrated book delivered monthly, one book, one hero, every month. It's $19.95 a month. It is well worth it. We've got several of their books. Absolutely love them. They're especially good for I would say kids ages like 7 to 13. That's probably the sweet spot. Go to heroesofliberty.com. Use discount code ALLY to receive a free book with a 1995 subscription program. That's heroesofliberty.com. Discount code ALLY. Heroesofliberty.com. Code ALLY. Okay, so Lips of TikTok and Chris Rufo have done better journalism than most so-called journalists at the mainstream media outlets over the past few years in just revealing the moral cultural rot that is in our institutions, that's in our major corporations, that's in our uh, federal government, and that's in a lot of schools, especially public schools, it seems, but also private schools, unfortunately, that are untethered to any kind of objective truth or morality or goodness. And so, lives of TikTok put together what she called a mega drag thread. She says they say it's innocent. They say it's about inclusion and acceptance. They say no one is trying to confuse, corrupt, or sexualize kids. They lie. And then in this thread, which I, you know, we might put up some examples on YouTube so that you can look at them. I really would rather not put up some of the videos. We can link this thread in the description of this episode so that you can look at it. Um, but let me let me read you a little bit of what's going on here. I mean, these are sexual shows that are targeting children. Again, how far have we come from talking about hospital visitation rights, which is what we heard was the whole like sexual revolution really was about a few years ago. Now we're having drag shows for children and the parents are to blame mostly. The parents are to blame. So let me not put it all on activists. This wouldn't be happening if parents wouldn't take their kids to these godforsaken events. So Here's one thing. A gay nightclub in Minnesota held a drag show for children earlier this month. One of the performers said in an interview, I want to give the kids an opportunity to see what drag queen slash king life is like on a day to day basis. I mean, this is a guy that is scantily clad that is 
dancing in a sexual way. This is basically like going to a strip club. Why? A preschool in Massachusetts is hosting a pride event, including drag queen story time and a pride parade. So at a lot of these drag queen story times, I mean, you've got men who are dressed in fishnets and leotards and obviously they're like a caricature of what a woman actually is which I think is offensive in itself and then they've got the huge like fake boobs they've got like the fake cleavage if this were an actual woman dressed like this would this be appropriate that was something that I asked a couple years ago when this was happening if this were a woman basically dressed like a prostitute prostitute story hour like would that be appropriate for children so why is it appropriate when a man dresses like this it doesn't make any sense. There is absolutely no innocent reason for a kid to go to a drag show. There's no innocent reason for an entity to host a drag show for kids. There's no innocent, non-predatory reason for a man to dress sexually in front of children. And a bar in Dallas, Lips of TikTok says, um, it's advertising a drag show for children, including the opportunity for some kids to perform with the drag queens on stage. And oh my goodness, the picture, uh, the picture that is being shown in this advertisement is just absolutely insane. Bristol Library, um, Bristol Library advertised a drag queen story hour tour where drag queens will be going around to libraries across the UK to read to children. Um, Children and drag queens dance for adults with some kids even collecting money on stage at a drag convention earlier this month called DragCon. And there is literally a video of a kid on stage dancing for a crowd of people. This is young kids. Um, It goes on and on and on and on. These drag shows are happening. These um, encouragement of transgender identity uh, events are happening at schools across the country targeting children. Again, this goes back to the destruction of any kind of concept of right and wrong. And it is all to, just to use the, I think, correct term, groom children into this kind of abuse. This is absolutely abuse. Now, I think it is worth saying that not all LGBTQ people, I would say the vast majority of people who identify as LGBTQ do not identify with a lot of the stuff and a lot of the behavior and a lot of the movements that we are seeing from the activist class. I think that's absolutely true. I don't think we need to lump them all together. But this is the ideology that is driving the movement. It goes all the way back, as Matt Walsh's documentary talks about, as we've talked about many times, it goes all the way back to John Money. It goes all the way back to Alfred Kinsey. It goes all the way back to a destructive worldview that really does prey upon the innocence of children, um, at least in the manifestations of the ideology that we are seeing today. So I think that if we care about this, it's something that we have to speak out about. It's really a shame that the federal government is on board with something like this and is willing to sacrifice poor children on the altar of it. But that's where we are. Um, And I've got just I'll just end with some encouragement in just one second. Let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day, and that is Birch Gold. So once again, we're fearing inflation. The economy is unstable. The S&P 500 is having its worst start to the year since World War II. You need to make sure that you are diversifying into gold, the most stable asset in the history of the world. Birch Gold is the company I trust to help you convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold and silver. That's right. Not only will Birch Gold help you fortify your savings with precious metals, they'll help you do it in a tax sheltered account. 
Just text Allie to 989-898 to get started. Amazon stock is down 37% in the first half of the year. Tesla is down 40%. Cryptos have been slammed. And so you need a plan. Get that plan with Birch Gold. Text Allie to 989-898. Get your free no obligation info kit on gold from Birch Gold. That's Allie to 989-898. I mean, seriously, go check out that thread so you don't have to just take my word for it. You can see it for yourself. Again, there is no innocuous, safe reason for kids to be sexualized, no matter what your belief system is. Can we just agree on that? No matter how you identify, and I think a lot of us do, no matter our political backgrounds or our views on sexual orientation and what people refer to as gender identity, no matter our views, can we just agree on that? Like, can we come together on that? Hopefully, hopefully most of us agree on that. But realize we that means that we have to agree on some kind of objective truth, not just biological truth, but also moral truth. And it gets harder and harder to do that when you do not have the same basis, the same foundation, the same understanding of where truth comes from. So do not be afraid, Christian, to recognize this is a theological issue that we are dealing with. This is a biblical issue that we are dealing with to hold fast to the word of truth that God has given us to be so clear, to be so courageous about that, to be so loving about that. I mean, if we're loving towards children, we're against the stuff that we're seeing in this thread, right? That's what love, true love, looks like, not the worldly, superficial definition of love. And be undeterred in your kindness and your clarity for this. We are called not to sacrifice children as the world continually does and has done basically throughout human history, but to save children, to save those who are being taken to the slaughter, which they are um, in many ways, both literally through abortion and figuratively through destructive ideologies like this. So be undeterred. The fight is absolutely absolutely worth it. All right. That's all we've got time for today. Uh, We will be back here tomorrow with a really fun interview. I know that you guys are going to like, and we will see you then.